You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. And welcome to the Health Hub. I'm your host, Kathy Biasse, and along with our producer, producer, Alex Diaz, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and once again, good morning to our listeners. Yes, Happy New Year to everybody. We hope that you had a wonderful, relaxing holiday, and we'd like to thank you for tuning in to our first live show of 2018. I'm very excited. Uh, me too, Alex. We have a great lineup of guests uh, for the upcoming year. It's going to be awesome. And our guests are going to continue to inspire us and to educate us. And we just hope that our listener base continues to grow and expand as it has. We've been so fortunate and happy and excited with the way the show has progressed. And we're working really hard to bring you trending, relevant, awesome, on-point guests. So it's going to be just a great, great year. And again, thank you for joining us. So did you have a nice holiday, Alex? Yes, I did. I was... uh in Montreal visiting family. Nice. I had a nice relaxing time there for sure. Uh, can you believe all the snow we've had? It, it, it's, been, uh, it's been crazy. The weather has been really cold lately f- for sure. Yeah. And especially though when, I was in, uh, when, when I was in Montreal, it, it, uh, was, it paled in comparison in terms of what Toronto was getting. And I just remember um, speaking with my relative who I was staying with and he was saying how how he was having to sh- uh, shovel his driveway almost every day, mm-hmm. and thankfully this year for him he got a snowblower. And I know I don't know even for myself and my dad at home we need to invest in one soon because you know the, with the snow the way it fell this year especially it just yep. reminded reminded me of how much we. Uh, are living in Canada, you know? Well, we've had more snow, I think, this last month. Uh, you know, the ski hills, I don't recall being open this early. We've had more snow this this month than we've had in years in December. Right. And uh, my my son is up north, and, and for goodness sake, the snowmobile got stuck in the snow. That's how deep it is. I, I didn't know that that could happen, but apparently it can. And yeah, it's just, it's been fun. It's been a little chilly for our dogs. So they've been sort of pent up. It's been too cold. They go outside and their feet are, are lifting up off the snow, but it's it's broken a bit today, the cold weather, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it is really nice to walk outside in a crisp day, but not, not when it's, you know, minus 30. But anyway, so it, we had a nice time and uh, glad to be back though. Hopefully there are no Huge kinks to to work out today, but we'll see as we go along. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure everything will run smoothly. Well, today. we'll see. You know what happens on live television uh, or television. There you go, live radio. <laughs> um, if you are interested in joining our conversation today, we have plenty of ways for you to get in contact. You can call in at four one six two four five fifteen thirty four. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Health Hub RMC. You can tweet at us at Kathy underscore Biasse. We are on Facebook and you can email us at THH at RadioMaria.ca. Lots of different ways to get a hold of us. We are really going to be doing a social media push. 
really trying to get good information out there to give you a whole experience with the Health Hub. So, Alex, any New Year's resolutions this year? Um, try and get fit and stay fit. And, and, and keep uh, your phone in, in your... Oh, that, that's another thing, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, those, for those of you who are just joining us, listeners, I had a bit of a scare about half an hour ago. Uh, I, I had misplaced my phone, and that... That 10 or 15 minutes felt like an eternity. Yeah, the stomach but, jumps. Uh, <laughs> well, and a little back backstory with that, too. I'll be, in, you know, in a show and I'll see Alex waving at me with his, you know, finger and to his ear and his mouth. Is my phone in there? Is my phone in there? <laughs> so so that's a good. I, I like resolutions. A lot of people think they're, they're <clears throat> humbuggish sort of things and not really worth their while. But, you know, to have a starting point to try and make positive changes, right. I think is very good. You know, um, <clears throat> the key is to keep them. And so what I wanted to do today is, you know, just from my, my humble point of view and, and working with people, just to give you some tips on maybe um, helping you to keep some resolutions that, that you've made. And, you know, this, is, this will be applicable to any, any resolution that you have. Make resolutions that you truly want to keep. You know, if you're not interested in, you know, having a, a cleaned out pantry or, you know, putting certain things in certain spots, don't, don't do it. You know, it, it, do yeah. something that interests you, that you really want to make a change we with. Don't, we don't necessarily want to make these uh, resolutions kind of chores for us in a sense. Right. We want to keep ourselves motivated. Yeah, and we want them to be something that you know, they are meaningful to us that, that want to push us in, in a more positive direction. So that's my first tip for you. The second one is with your resolutions and goals, try and be very specific. So if you want to exercise more, have a plan. So ex- that's a very broad, broad goal is to exercise more. So say, for instance, you want to run a 10K this year, you know, break that down into doable steps for you. Start, you know, depending on where you've started with your with your uh, exercise level, you know, if you're going from uh, watching a lot of TV and not too too uh, too much in the movement sphere, get up off the couch and, and make a commitment to walk every day. And as that as that gets easier for you, then then you know, up the ante with a bit of running. So make make a plan, make a a, a plan that is doable for you. Break the big goals into smaller pieces, and that will help you to to achieve them. So have a large goal, perhaps, and then smaller goals to get to it. And finally, the thing that I've actually started doing myself, I've made a commitment to do it this year, is to write things down. I've started actually. Myself, I started with a gratitude journal, and that that actually idea came from one of the shows we had earlier about cultivating gratitude. And I've started a gratitude journal. But when it comes to goals, writing these goals down actually helps you to keep them. It's like it's like solidifying what's in your brain on a piece of paper. And yeah. and I, I read a study that physiologically it does something from one side of the brain to the other. So writing those goals down makes them real. Yes. And sharing them with somebody even makes them more entrenched. So once you've got it out there that you've got a goal and you've shared it with people, and then you've really sort yeah. of thrown your hat into the commitment ring. Exactly, exactly. And one of the things that it's important to write down because – you know, life gets busy and we put things aside and we forget to look after ourselves. That's right. And actually, you know what? If, if you're writing your goals down, keep them in a place that you're going to be looking at them. 
You know, don't write them in a, in a book and stick that book under the bed. Put them in a place where they'll be in front of you, where you're, you're encouraged to, to take a look at them. And, you know, these, these, they seem like small steps, but they really do. They're proven and, uh, and tried and trusted and true ways to, to really help you keep your resolutions. And good luck with that. You know, I encourage everybody. So that's awesome. Now, today's show has a very special meaning for me. As uh, most of you know who follow the show regularly, I am a breast cancer survivor. And our guest today, too, is a breast cancer survivor. Uh, Jessica was younger than I was when she was diagnosed. And she is with us today to share a book that she has written, Cancer Hate Kisses. Cancer Hates Kisses. Jessica Reed Slowerski is a literary specialist. She is a reading enthusiast, a former elementary school teacher, and her picture book, Cancer Hates Kisses, was inspired by her own breast cancer treatment and recovery. She lives in Oakland with her husband and her daughter, and after the break, we're going to talk with Jessica about her breast cancer journey, about her inspiration for the book, and it's something that, uh, as I said, is very near and dear to me, and I'm very much looking forward to the show. So we'll be right back after this break. Grace was a kingdom I stopped at the gate Thinking I don't deserve to pass through After all the mistakes that I've made Oh, but I heard a whisper As heaven bent down Said, child, don't you know that the first will be last and the last get a crown?
gates open wide And there's a seat at the table just waiting for you So come on inside You are listening to Radio Maria Canada We now continue with the program The Health Hub Hosted by Kathy Biasi Welcome back, everybody. We are live today. Please feel free to call us at 416-245-1534. You can follow us on Instagram at the Health Hub RMC. You can tweet at us today if you want to ask Jessica or myself or Alex any questions. You can also follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to get a hold of us by email, we are at thh at radiomaria.ca. Good morning, Jessica. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, we're really excited. And as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, it holds a special place in my heart. I was a breast cancer survivor, but when we were talking, my kids were much older than... uh, How old was your daughter when you were diagnosed? She was four months. Four months old. So four months old. And how old were you, Jessica, when you were diagnosed then? I was... I had just turned 33, Mm -hmm. and... I had had my first daughter, Penelope, my only daughter, um, my miracle baby, I call her. And I was about three months postpartum when I found the lump in my breast. And then it was another month before I was officially diagnosed. Wow, a terrible shock, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and how, how is Penelope now? How old is She's she? She's amazing. How old is she now? She turned three in November. And she is just the best. Oh. She is the best. I was having a conversation with a mom uh, the other day about how having a baby is the most amazing experience and becoming a mother. And it's this form of love that you never even knew you were capable of. Mm-hmm. So true. It must. She must have been a real source of strength for you when uh, you found out about your diagnosis. I'm I'm sure, and then had to, what what were the treatments that you went through when you uh, when you were diagnosed? Was it a full year or so? Um, yes and no. So it was. Um, I decided to have a double mastectomy and reconstruction. So of course there were myriad surgeries that spanned several months, mm-hmm. and then I had three months of chemotherapy. And now I'm doing something called hormone therapy. And so even though I'm done with chemo and I'm now um, almost three years out from my diagnosis, and if you saw me on the street, you would never even know all of the the horror that my body has mm-hmm. been through. But the, the nice so thing... very much in treatment. <laughs> yeah, you are, but you know, it's... it's I, I deal with cancer patients in my practice. Most of my practice is with cancer patients and... The word, you know, we're going to certainly talk about the book, but just what what I what I love about your story and about so many other people's stories that we don't hear is there are so many survivors, and we tend to hear only the you know the the sadder side of cancer, but there are so many survivors, and and you hold hope for people uh, just by being you. And now that you've you've gone to this extra step and, and written this book, you know, I hate to use the term making lemonade out of lemons, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a piece of your history and, and you're using it um, for everybody's betterment. Well, and it was really important to me that 
as part of my own healing, I needed to do something with this experience. And I needed to find a way to rationalize to myself why this had happened to me. Um, I didn't have a family history of breast cancer. I don't have the gene or at least any of the genes that they know of that contribute to, mm-hmm. to breast cancer. I was young. I had just had a baby. I was, I was at the pinnacle of my career. I mean, life was really wonderful. And then this, this horrible thing came out of nowhere. And I really struggled around why it happened and what I had done to make it happen. You know, did I eat the wrong foods? Did I go on airplanes too much? Was I drinking too much bottled water? You know, all of these things that you torture yourself with um, when it comes to something as, as scary as a cancer diagnosis. And so treatment, I was really thinking about like, why did this happen? What am I supposed to do with this experience? And when I had the idea to write the book, my initial thinking was, okay, I'll, I'll create this story. I'll self-publish it and I'll share it with any woman I meet going forward who is going through cancer treatment for any kind of cancer and who has young children. And this will be my way of paying it forward. And it's inspirational (laughs) that, that you do that because, you know, statistically people who have a better mindset have a better chance of, of getting through uh, disease in general. But, you know, we're talking about cancer here and I don't know how you were, but I, I mean, I went to a, a darker place when I was first diagnosed, and similar, similarly to you, I thought I was healthy, and I couldn't quite get why. But um, having, that, having that mindset didn't benefit me at all. I don't know if you went through that, but the way you turned things around and you found a way to get some meaning out of it. I don't know if we'll ever have the answers. Do you, do you feel that there'll ever be an answer as to why you've got cancer or is, or is your answer in this book? Uh, my answer is, is the book. I think this happened to me because I needed to use my voice to write a story that would help other families who are struggling with this terrible disease. And it's, been the most gratifying yet also surreal experience to see the way that families are reacting to this book. Um, Thank goodness for social media because I can see so many people engaging with the story and in a way that I wouldn't be able to see if we didn't have social media and to see how the story is touching so many families and bringing a small yet incredibly necessary amount of comfort during a difficult time is exactly what I wanted from the book and exactly why I wrote it. And so it gives me the opportunity to reflect constantly on how this experience that I had, that I had that was incredibly difficult and it was awful. And yes, there were, there were definitely dark days for me, but I feel like because of this story and the way it's helping others, it was worth it. And it's not an experience that, you know, unless you've, you've gone through it. I mean, we, I'm not sure what your support system was like, but I had, a, I had a, a great support system. But unless you've actually gone through it, you know, it's never going to go away. So things like this mm-hmm. just always help it to 
help you to, to, to find a place for it. Um, I always say, you know, it's, it's never goes too, too much lower than skin deep and, and, it's a scary disease to have, but uh, there are a lot of diseases that are scary to have. But to help you find meaning in it and, and to help to help you personally have a place for this in your life, it's a, it's a, it's a part of your story. It's not your whole story. Um, some people, I, I don't know if you found this, well, some people didn't really know how to talk to me after I was diagnosed and when I was going through treatment. And, you know, to this day, I think it's, you know, when people see me, that some people think that that's the first thing that comes to mind. But it's only a piece of the story, and it's how we continue to write that um, really, really tells the character. And, I, and I'm just so amazed that that you've done this. I've ne- I never saw anything like this this book before. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, your baby was three months old. So did you run into families that were having difficulty speaking to their children about about disease? I did, and. So what happened was I was diagnosed and I felt incredibly lonely because I didn't know anyone else in my peer group who was my age, had just had a baby and was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and was going to have to have a crazy surgery and chemotherapy. Um, And so I started searching for a tribe and I encountered so many other women who also had young children and who were going through treatment for breast cancer. And we would get together and, you know, go for walks in the park or we would see each other at the breast center when we were there for our myriad doctor appointments. And there was an instance where a woman said to me, wow, you know, I can't imagine having a baby right now. That must be so hard. And I had never thought about that. I mean, it it never felt hard to me. If anything, I was just so incredibly grateful that I had a baby because she was this distraction for me and she was a source of joy and comfort and everything that was good in the world. And I said to the woman, well, you know, you have a child too. Is, you know, how is, how is it having an older child? Because her daughter was, um, a toddler and she said it you know it's fine she just doesn't know what's going on I keep my head covered all the time we don't talk about it um, we send her to the grandparents when I have infusions and then I heard another story from another woman who talked about her eight-year-old daughter and how her daughter had seen her with her head shaved um, as she prepared for chemo And her daughter was incredibly angry. She was like, Mom, why would you do that? You look ugly. Mm. And, you know, the child didn't mean to be cruel. She just didn't know what was going on with Mom. And Mom went from one day having beautiful, luscious hair to then being bald. And that's terrifying for a child if they don't understand why it's happening. And so I said to her, well, did you explain what's going on? And she said, no, I can't talk about it. I don't want to scare her. I don't want to worry her. And that was what really got me thinking about the need to create a story like this, a story that first and foremost celebrates how powerful any woman is who's going through cancer treatment. Um, And any man also. I have plenty of 
friends who purchased this book because their husbands now are going through cancer treatment and they want a way to talk about it with their children. But I was thinking about the, the place of the woman who needs to explain this to her children or wants to explain this to her children or is afraid to explain it to her children and simply doesn't know how and providing her a language to do that, but in a way that is incredibly powerful and empowering because there's so much about cancer that is already disempowering, right? I mean, you feel like crap. You do nothing but go to doctor appointments. You've been stripped of what society deems as making you beautiful. Um, And I wanted a way to make her remember that she is a cancer-fighting superhero. And that's why the first line in the story is, Mama is a cancer-fighting superhero. I wanted to, to redefine how we talk about um, somebody who's going through cancer. And in giving them this story, they can then explain to their children also what's going on in a language that makes sense to kids, but that also is incredibly honest, right? I use the word chemo. I talk about surgery. I talk about radiation. I talk about how a mom's going to be tired and how mom is going to lose her hair and be bald and And even how at times mom is going to be sad and you might see mom crying because this is a really hard thing, but you can be a superhero even while experiencing this range of human emotions during a difficult time. And then it provides for the children a way for them to help mom, right? So mom is going to have surgery to get the cancer. After surgery, there will be scars. She refers to the scars in the story as her warrior wound. And then the children kiss her warrior wound because cancer hates kisses. And kisses make mom feel better. Kisses make anybody feel better. And it's a really simple way for children to be part of the healing process. You know, Jessica, it's also, you know, just listening to you talk, it's... Talking about, you know, talking with survivors, you know, I include you as as, as an ever-expanding tribe um, member. Um, it, it, it It's emotional. You know, it, it's, it's cancer is not for the faint of heart. And never look upon someone who's going through cancer as weak because we are not weak. And it's it's a challenge and it is it is something that is is put upon us and you know, the book isn't just for kids. The book is also empowering to women because you are making, you're making the moms in the story. And as you say, it's, it's applicable for men too. You're showing the strength of these people. You're showing the strength of people going through cancer when oftentimes people look at you as, as weak and Mm -hmm. we're not weak. And it's, it's an empowering book on so many, many fronts. And what I'd like to do when we get back from our break is, is to get into the more specifics of the story and and pull out some pieces that are extremely meaningful for you. So when we get back from our break, we'll continue to talk with Jessica about her book, Cancer Hates Kisses. Not scared to say I used to be the one Preaching it to you That you could overcome I still believe it But it ain't easy Cause that world I painted Where things 
Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. You can also follow us at Instagram on Instagram at the Health Hub RMC. Tweet at us at Kathy underscore Biasse. We are on Facebook, and you can email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. We are here with Jessica Reed Slowerski. She is the author of Cancer Hates Kisses. Jessica, why do you think it's important for parents, a mom or a dad, who is going through cancer to include or speak to their children about the disease? I think it's important because even if you don't 
talk about it, children are incredibly perceptive. They're going to figure out that something is wrong. And the less information they have, the more likely it is that they're going to, um, you know, feel anger and confusion and anxiety. And so the story that I shared earlier about the little girl who, when she saw her mom bald and had no context for mom's baldness, freaked out and said, you know, hurtful things to her mom, I think is a good example of when kids aren't adequately prepared, they are going to act like children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that could be hurtful when you're already going through something incredibly hard. And what I have found through my work in education, having been an elementary school teacher for many years, is that kids can handle complex subjects as long as they're, you know, given in a way that they can ingest and make meaning of. And kids can also be incredibly powerful allies. There is nothing more wonderful than um, feeling loved, especially by your own children, right? Um, And other people in your life. We had talked about how this book is also for adults and helping adults be more empathetic when someone they love is going through cancer. It's as simple as being able to give someone a kiss or a hug um, or a compliment. Mm-hmm. Now, I had uh, I had four kids. They were, I think, 19, 17, 15, and my youngest one was 12. And we told them about my diagnosis as soon as we found out, and each and every one reacted completely differently. Um. I'm, you know, each child, and at the age certainly has to, uh, they know a lot more when they're older. They probably know more about the scarier aspects when they're older. My youngest one um, didn't want to come near me for the first little while. I, and we have to be prepared for the way children react. But I do totally agree with you that, you know, if you're trying to work through a disease and you're trying to hide things, it can cause you more stress because you're cultivating stories and reasons and excuses and forever backtracking on trying to trying to keep the story straight. So I, I agree with you that it is important. And, and if the kids can be a source of support, that's just even a bonus. You know, I, I, I think it's, right. it really is. Um, and I and I think kids are, as you say, are a lot more resilient than than we give them credit for. Mine were older, so they were toward the adult age. I felt bad for my my third child because he was in his final year of of high school, so it was a little bit of a tough year for him. But who who what age group are you targeting with your book? Uh, is do you have an age group in mind? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I mean, when you look at the metadata for the book, I think it talks about children ages three to five. Um, But I think this book is for any age, really. Um, I have people I know who are using it with children as young as two. And my daughter was two when I received the proofs of the book before it was published. And we sat and we read it together and, and she could understand, you know, the basic concepts of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also understands that it's, our story, which is something that's really special. Um, And then I know families who've used it with kids as old as 12. I know of um, cancer survivors who 
are many, many years past being in active treatment and who still appreciate the story because it reframes their own personal experience um, and who have given it to their adult children. And it feels incredibly validating for their adult children to hear that their kisses and their love that they gave all that time ago when mom was going through treatment was enough. Um, Because I think that in my conversations with families of cancer survivors, there's this feeling when you're the caretaker or a family member around like, what can I do to make this better? And how do I take the pain away? And, and, and what can I give? What do I say? What do I not say? And so to read this book and, and to understand that hugs and kisses are healing in and of themselves makes them also, it kind of contributes to their own healing around that experience, not being the cancer survivor, but being part of this really hard thing that the family went through. That's a wonderful angle, actually. I never thought of that. You know, the support givers, they're affected in a different way, but as deeply a lot of times as, as the actual cancer patient. And, you know, they, they do want to do what's best. And I know everyone's afraid of what to say and what not to say, but sometimes just being there and the hugs and kisses is not just enough. It's actually more than enough. And it's, if you're blessed to have wonderful support through this disease, you know, validating your, your caregivers, is is a wonderful thing. It's, I never thought of it, Jessica. That's it's a great way to great great tool to use your book. It's wonderful. Now your family is is a daughter, and uh, your family you, your children. You have one daughter, but in the book, mm-hmm. your family is a husband and a wife and two kids. Now you're a husband and a wife and and one daughter. So why did you decide to go this way with the book instead of using your direct your direct family makeup? So I wanted to write a story that was universally universally applicable so that I could help as many people as possible. Um, although I thought it would be way too depressing to have a story about a mom and dad simultaneously going through cancer treatment. So I had to choose one parent. Um, and, and I wanted more than anything to support other women going through treatment. And so um, I the story of a mother, but I wanted any mother to be able to see herself in this story. So whether she has a daughter, a son, multiple daughters, multiple sons, I wanted the the genders of the children to be covered. Um, And I also really wanted mom to feel like a mom and for any woman who was reading the book to be able to say, yes, Like, I identify with this character. And so when we were, my editor and I were talking about my vision for the illustrations and what I wanted the mother to be like in this story, I said I want her to be, um, I want her to look like a mom. I want any mom who reads this book to see herself in this character. And um, it was funny, actually, because they got the first round of sketches and I looked at the the way that Mika, my amazing illustrator, had drawn the mom. And I was like, yeah, that's a little too mom. She <laughs> needs to be just a bit more hip. <laughs> so that's why you see in the story, you see things like, you know, mom wears these really cool red high tops, um, which are like her 
superhero boots. Um, (laughs) But it has been really wonderful to see the way that women react to the book and, and that they do identify with this main character. Well, being a picture book, um, the pictures are obviously vital to the success of the story. And the pictures, um, you know, when you pick the book up, you'll, you'll, they're, they're pastels. They are, it, it's, you know, you're, you're showing MRI machines. You're showing bandages, but you're showing them in a way that is not shocking for anybody who picks up the book. You know, it could be in a doctor's office and a little one could pick up the book and it would just be a lovely picture book. Um, how did you how did you land on on the pastel colors on the actual pictures that were that are displayed in the book? Yeah, so I mean part of it is that I have an amazing team at Penguin, um, my publisher, and so between my editor and the art director and an incredibly talented illustrator, um, they they came up with this, and I got to weigh in um, and give opinions and, and contribute as well. But when we were thinking about what we wanted the illustrations in this book to do, one of the things that I said to my editor was, the words themselves are really heavy, um, and the illustrations need to not only depict what the words are saying, but the illustrations need to somehow bring some levity so that people aren't dissolving into puddles of tears while reading this story, and yet also capture the tenderness that is at the root of this story. And so my editor went out, and with the art director, they found um, two different illustrators that they thought could do this story justice and shared their portfolios with me. And when I saw Mika's portfolio, I was like, this is the person. Um, There is just this love um, and tenderness in her artwork, while also you see a little bit of mischief, mischievity, is that the word, or mischievous, um, mischief (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, with the characters. So, for example, it's really sweet in... The pictures, you see the little girl in the story, she has a tutu. Um, She carries her little bunny around. Um, The little boy in one scene has pizza slices on his pajamas. And just those little touches in the story just bring that much more joy and delight to an otherwise um, heavy topic. Did you learn about all this on the fly or or have you written other books or how did you come upon knowing and how to seek things like this? So I have not written other books, but I have been in education for over a decade and having been an elementary school teacher and then moving into a role of um, literacy specialist, I have a, a deep affection for children's picture books. And so I'm, I'm actually sitting in my home office right now while we're doing this conversation, and I'm looking at Penelope's bookshelf, which has got hundreds of beautiful picture books. And so having spent so much time reading children's books, I started to distill what I thought made a really powerful picture book. And I just kind of used that as well as 
gut instinct and, again, a team of seasoned professionals um, with my publisher, and we created this really marvelous story. It is. What's your favorite part of the book? Or do you have a favorite part? Oh, my gosh. That's a really good question. Well, I think there's a few answers here. The first is that the very first line of the story says, Mama is a cancer-fighting superhero. And I think that that is an incredibly important affirmation and narrative. Earlier in the program, you were talking about how important it is to write down goals, and that through writing down goals, we, we internalize them. And at the time that I wrote this book, um, be clear, I did not feel like a superhero. I mean, I had just finished chemotherapy, and um, things were really hard at that point in my life. Um, but I had to tell myself every day, all day, I am a cancer-fighting superhero. And I needed to say that to myself in order to just keep going. Um, and I wanted to be able to help other women and cancer fighters in general, right, um, tell themselves that same story. I am a cancer-fighting superhero. So, so that first line is really meaningful to me. And even now, as I approach my three-year cancerversary, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't have to at some point during the day, sometimes multiple times a day, remind myself, um, I've got this. I can do this. I'm going to be okay, whatever okay may mean. Um, but I also really like some other parts of the story. Um, I like the part where I talk about um, sometimes mom is sad, and um, the story is narrated from the perspective of the children, right? So mama is a cancer-fighting superhero. That's the voice of the children saying that. And so it's the scene where, um, you know, it talks about, it says there are days when mama has to use all her superhero strength to fight cancer. Afterwards, she is so tired. Sometimes she is sad. We see her crying. And arguably, this is the point in the story where um, a lot of people themselves start crying. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to create space where it is safe to be vulnerable. Um, I think oftentimes as parents and even just as adult humans, um, we think that we need to go through these experiences and put on a brave face and, and that it, it's a sign of weakness um, when we have those meltdowns. But I also think it's really important that as parents, we model for our children what it means to be human. And as, as humans, we go through difficult things that bring up emotions, and it's okay to cry because you're going through this really hard thing. And you're no less of a superhero because you're crying. And so I wanted to um, normalize vulnerability. And I'm, I'm really just proud that this part of the story exists and that I was fortunate enough to work with an editor who really understood that, yes, this is a children's book, but we're going to do some kind of crazy things like 
talk about cancer and use the word hate in the title of the book and um, acknowledge that adults cry. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> and so then true. Provide the children with strategies for for helping them. It, you know, it just hits on so many levels. Um, well, what do you want your daughter? You know, when your daughter's older and she's reading this book and she sees that your name's on the title and she's so proud of her mom who's written this, what are your hopes that your daughter learns from your experience from the book? I'm sure that came into play when you were writing it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I came out of chemotherapy feeling very afraid of the world. Um, I had had enough time during treatment to Google everything about cancer, um, which probably was not a healthy thing. Mm. <laughs> um, but I was terrified that I was going to do something that would cause my cancer to come back. And part of that fear was also the fear that the cancer would come back soon and that I wouldn't get to live to see Penelope grow up. And so part of my motivation for writing the book was also that I wanted to create an artifact that told her the story of who her mother was during this time and also helped her to understand that she had played this really important role in my healing. So, um, you know, the, the dedication for the book, it's to Penelope. The author's note at the back talks about um, my inspiration for the story being um, her kisses and snuggles and laughter and the, the joy that she brought to my heart and her role in my healing. And then my picture that I use on the back cover of the book, I rather than choosing a picture that shows how I look now, um, I actually used a picture from when I was going through chemotherapy. And in the picture, um, Penelope and I are sitting on a park bench. We were actually on our way walking through Central Park to get to um, Mount Sinai Hospital where I was treated. And I would bring her to appointments with me. And Um, It was this beautiful day, and I had just lost my hair, and Penelope was also bald. She was only about five months old at the time, and I just wanted to take a picture to capture the moment, and it turned out to be this really beautiful picture and one that I am so proud of because I think it exemplifies how you can be going through this incredibly difficult, challenging time in your life, and yet you can also feel so brave and so beautiful, Um, and that's how I was feeling that day, and I'm really proud of that picture, and I wanted anyone who's reading this book to have that visual reminder that I have been where you are right now, and I, I get it. I get how hard this is, and this is my way of of giving you this story that I hope makes this time in your life just a little bit easier. Well, Jessica, you know, I tell people if you affect one person in your lifetime positively, you've, you've done a good job. And 
you know, this book is going to be profound to many people. So I congratulate you on it. You're a brave person for writing it and telling your story. And, you know, I can relate to you on, on a profound level. And I thank you for the book. I thank you for the book. I, I'm getting a copy from you and I will be using it uh, when I'm working with people that are going through cancer. So thank you so much for that. Um, we're getting toward the end of, of our show. Maybe, Jessica, you could give us, you know, some enlightening tidbit that, you know, to close off the show that would be helpful. So my tidbit is something that I have to remind myself of each day. And that is, none of us know what is going to happen tomorrow. All we have is right now and today. And so no matter what's going on in our life, how do we eat the most joy that we can out of each day? And one of the little things that I've started doing that brings me a lot of joy is um, early in the morning going into Penelope's room and she still sleeps in a crib. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I actually like to crawl into her crib with her and cuddle. And the other day um, (laughs) when I was snuggling with her, she looked at me and she said, let's talk about everything. And I thought it was so sweet and so funny. And I realized that um, I might have missed that moment if I weren't intentionally seeking ways to find and have more joy in my life. And and those kind of moments are what propel me through the day and, and propel me through whatever challenges the day might bring, whether they're health-related or work-related or um you know, whatever they may be. And so I encourage you, Kathy, and I encourage all your listeners to just be mindful of what a gift today is and to find one small thing um, that brings them joy. Very well said. Very well said. Jessica's book is Cancer Hates Kisses. You can get it on Amazon here in Canada, amazon.ca. If you'd like to follow Jessica, her Twitter handle is at M-S-R-E-I-D. R-E-A-D-S, so at Ms. Reed Reads. And if you need to get a hold of us to get more information about Jessica, uh, certainly do so at THH at RadioMaria.ca. It's been a wonderful show to open up 2018. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us. You're doing wonderful work. We will be back next week, everybody, on the Health Hub. Have a great week. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.